No mai, haere mai, and welcome to Koko Ngati, a podcast that combines cross-cultural wahine Māori and Pacific male perspectives on issues and topics relating to us. It's our stories by our people. Kia ora, I'm Maya Wilson. Kia ora, na, I'm Johnson Rayella, and we are the hosts of Koko Ngati. If you've followed our kaupapa so far, you'll know that season one focuses on being mixed race here in Aotearoa. Although Maya and myself aren't entirely mixed race, we talk to inspiring people who are, as they openly share their experiences. Today, we kōrero with a te waiohua and waikato tainui mana wahine, who is a mama, wife, business owner, photographer and passionate social activist. You know, I want all of our rangatahi to know off the bat that you, A, are enough, that B, you don't have to follow the system that is already in place. It is not a system that was built or made for us. And so what you need to do is go and disrupt that system. And I want all of our rangatahi to have the confidence and the belief in themselves because all of those tools are in all of the teachings of our tupuna. Kiani Matata Sipu, over the next hour and a bit, talks to us about being raised on her papakainga by a kick-ass indigenous wahine to now raising her own daughter on the same whenua. She also shares about her passion of amplifying the voice of kick-ass indigenous wahine through nuku and her plans of turning nuku into a book. No mai ki, ki tōku whare, or my mama's little haven, she calls it, te queenie. Um, so first off, ko wai koe, no hia koe, we know all about you, but tell our listeners, who are you? Who am I? Wow. Uh, well, ko tainui te waka, ko te manuka nuko hotirua te moana, ko oruarangi te awa, ko te pukita papatanga hape te maunga, ko ihu mātau te papakainga, ko makaurau te marae, ko hape te tupuna, ko kaiwhare te tanifa, ko kiane matatasi pua hau. Uh, that's my Māori whakapapa, mm. on this side of the table, and then on the other side of the table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My Cook Island whakapapa, uh, my family are also from the Cook Islands and so from Arorangi in uh, Rarotonga and from Mangaia. And so I um, proudly wear both of mm. of those uh, on me and um, there is also some Pākehā whakapapa in there but I just, I, I don't really, yeah, mm. it is, it's there. You know, you can see it in the colour of my skin. That's all mm. you need. <laughs> what's what's your family makeup? Uh, so I am the eldest child. I have an interesting Afano dynamic in that I, as the eldest mokopuna, I was raised with my grandparents. Mm. Um, and then my, my parents split when I was quite young. I think I might have been about two. And uh, my mama eventually re-met her high school sweetheart Ooh. and uh, they had uh, another baby together. So that's my sister, Ngarina. So we're 10 years apart. And then my father, my birth father, um, he met a number of different people, but one of those <laughs> one of those was a beautiful wahine from the Hokianga. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And together they had my brother, Ethan. Um, I also have, uh, so my stepdad's son, William, has been raised as one of my brothers mm-hmm. as well. And so, you know, in, in our Māori Pacifica families, we never say step, halves, yep. you know, yep. it all Hard just out. is. You know, interesting kind of way that we connect. Yeah. Um, but in my whānau, I was, because I was raised with my grandparents, I also was raised with my auntie in the house. And so my auntie and I are 21 years apart. I mm. stole her thunder on her 21st birthday <laughs> by being born three days before her 21st yeah. birthday. And um, we have a very close relationship as I do with my mm. uncle as well, just because of you know being raised in between those two yeah. generations. But yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty choice family. That's awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> And I think, talking about it, we are whanaunga. I yes, remember growing up <laughs> and coming to your grandparents, Whare and Wallace Rose. And tell us about your upbringing. I know, especially your nan, it was a strong, strong woman. Mm. What was your upbringing like with your grandparents? I have such amazing memories of my childhood and if I could ever go back to anything it would be that because I had such a simple upbringing but it was full of so much aroha and I remember um, you know my papa was always at the marae that was his second home (laughs) so I remember like living in between our homestead and the marae um as you said, my nan was a really strong wahine and she was a creative and she Beautiful. was always into something. So she was like into dried flowers and the <laughs> yes. shed will be full with all these dried floral arrangements. And then she was into paper mache and dragons. And so then we'd have paper mache dragons, um, like ceramic dragons, like all these things. And then she was into something else. And so <laughs> she eventually settled on... Uh, raranga and weaving yes. and was a beautiful weaver mm. and then she and when my grandfather passed away in 2009 my nan so my nan used to always write in her diaries every single day and it was so funny because she'd threaten us and she'd be like when I'm dead you you're read, read my it. yeah you're gonna read my diary and see all these things <laughs> that you did to me and so it was like this thing about her diaries but when my grandfather passed away um she couldn't write in them anymore she just couldn't bring herself mm. to write that he had died and so she ended up draw, like pencil drawing and did all these like beautiful sketches yeah. and framed those. And so she went through this real, she was just explored her creativity so well. She was an early childhood teacher, as is my mum. So we've been raised, you know, really valuing and honouring our young people. And I think the other great memory I have is we had a like a caravan holiday home in Orere Point. And so every holidays, every weekend and all the, like all the, any holidays, mm. we'd all go down to these, this caravan that we had at the holiday park and that would be my childhood and it would just be spent roaming to all hours of the night, you know, until it's dark mm. and playing in the waterhole, going to the beach. My, my grandfather would go diving and fishing and, uh, you know, like my my mum had a caravan and my grandparents had a caravan that sort of made a little L shape together and um, we just that would that was my childhood, and so it was the best childhood mm. I could have ever asked for because mm. I didn't have anything, but I had everything. I don't. Mm. I, don't. I, I, to- I totally know what you mean there without having to explain it, right? Yeah. Um, and then when you look at your childhood now, and then tell us about Kiani as a mom, Kiani as a, as a <laughs> mama, and, and how you are raising um, your child that has um, that is, has also got. Um, 
your obviously heritage and, and her father's heritage. Is that Tongan? Yeah, Tongan. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So my baby is Māori Cook Island Tongan, and she mm. knows it. <laughs> She's so proud of it. Awesome. Um, she can taulunga just as good as she can haka. Wow. And uh, she's I not yet three. It. She'll be three in another mm. week. And I'm holding my breath because she already thinks she's 21. <laughs> um, but, you know, my as all of our children are, my, my baby is precious. But mm. she's a little bit extra special because it took 14 years for her to mm. get here. Um, my husband and I had been together 14 years. We'd gone six years through different fertility treatments and all of these things and then randomly, naturally fell pregnant with this <laughs> child. It was a pretty um, hard experience in trying to have this baby. Uh, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and so that made it difficult for us to conceive and it was like every time you get a failed pregnancy test you'd grieve for something that you never mm. actually had mm. and so her coming into this world is a story on its own and that um, you know we tried so much so many different types of treatments um, IUI like the medical down the medical route the IUI the medications and then we went down the indigenous healing route of you know rumi rumi and rungoa and, and karakia and and all of these varying things and then um, yeah we managed to fall pregnant which was I, honestly I tell you it was a miracle and um, this this baby was born and when I was carrying her I remember quite early on in my pregnancy, I said to my midwife and I said to my whanau, um, this baby's going to be born at 38 weeks on the full moon and her name is Hayatati Kapua. And everybody was like, eh, whatever, like, this, you, it's your first baby, you're probably going to be overdue and, you know, um, how do you know it's going to be a girl and like all these things and... <clears throat> At 38 weeks on the full moon, Hayatati Kapua was born. Thank you very much. <laughs> and so um, she, it was almost like she was sent to us. And I honestly believe that when she was born, uh, we had one of the wahine who had helped us um, through our fertility journey, who had done rongua with us and romi romi with us. And she came to see our baby and she said, oh, this baby's so knowing. And I said, yeah, it's almost like she's, A, either been here before or my nan's done a really good job at teaching her before she got here what to expect. And so her, I think the way that she came into this world has really influenced how I am as a mama mm. because it was such a journey to get her here. I um, am really conscious about what I teach her mm. and what kind of life she has and what I want to ensure that she knows young. And, um, you know, with the values that we have, are, again, very simple values. So I teach her all about being honest and about aroha and manakitanga, but we also teach her about our indigenous value systems mm. and our indigenous practices. And so we talk a lot about papatuanuku and ranginui and mm. maramataka. And, mm. you know, she learns all of these things. I'm really, I have like a, a library because mm. all of these books that I had as a child, I've bought for her um, so that she's introduced to Māori and Tongan language and stories right from birth mm. and from a young age. When she's watching TV or if we're putting something on for her, we're always really conscious that it's um, got Tongan music or, or Māori music. I really love 
um, Tenutube and, and Atareta and Tihakura yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. their waiata because when I think about, you know, it's everything that I want my child to learn, something that's fun that she's into, that's pop music that she thinks is cool, but also is all completely in te reo Māori. Mm. And so while I don't fluently speak Māori, my husband fluently speaks Tongan. And his parents do such a great job at, um, like, they've done such a good job at speaking Tongan to their mm. children mm. and now to their grandchildren. And so I'm really blessed that whenever she goes to see her Tongan grandparents or her Tongan family, they speak to her in Tongan. Mm. And when she's at home, we try our best to give her as much te reo Māori as I can to a point. And I know that I have to do a better job. As she gets older, I'm going to need to start improving my deal um, so that I can keep up with what we're teaching her at home. So talking about home, you, I think, are fortunate enough that you live on your papakainga, mm. your tupuna whenua. Not tupuna. <laughs> yeah, but a bow. No, it's Love great. Love our whanau, but sometimes, yeah. um, you know, how satisfying is it knowing that you're able to you know, raise your daughter on her whenua. Today, a Facebook memory popped up, and seven years ago today was when my house was was wow. put on our whenua mm. um, in Ihumatao. It was built on my great-grandfather's, what was his orchard, mm. um, that then sort of stayed empty for quite a long time. And my grandmother was born and raised in the house across the road. Um, as you say, you know, my whanau's just all around me. And, mm. and and it's amazing and it's also kind of hoha sometimes because, <laughs> you know, they just like to walk in the door unannounced, <laughs> which I actually love, but yeah. sometimes it is hard to get work done when you've constantly got visitors. And um, it's just, oh, I can't even describe how lucky we are to live in Tamaki Makoto in this yes. bustling multicultural city and still have the safety of being in our papakainga. Mm-hmm. My baby's whenua and my niece's uh, whenua, so they're, they're placenta, are both buried in our backyard mm-hmm. um, underneath manuka it. trees. And to me, that epitomizes everything that I feel is home. Mm. When you know that you're literally putting the whenua into the whenua and planting that seed Mm. and saying, we will forever be here, and no matter what, you are tied to this whenua. Mm. Um, Mm. That is huge. And so what we did was we planted my baby's whenua uh, here in in Ihumatao, and then we took her pito, the the belly Mm -hmm. button bit that Mm. fell off, we took it to uh, Fuamoto and Tonga and, wow. and oh, buried it there on Woolly's family land so that she will always be connected and planted mm. to both of those. Um, I think, you know, living next door to our marae brings a whole nother element of what it means to what it means to be part of something bigger than you. Mm. And I think when we look at our Māori and Pacifica cultures, we have it, – it's a very um, – it's a very colonial view to think about yourself alone. Yeah. Mm. And it's a it's a very indigenous Māori Pacifica Oceania view to think about yourself as a collective. Mm. And when you live next door to your marae, you have no choice but to consistently be reminded that you are part of a bigger collective mm. and that anything that you do as an individual feeds into the into that collective. Mm. And so if you're doing something negative, that's going to feed into that collective. Whereas if you're doing something positive, if you're doing something that is change-making or affirming or empowering, then you are in, ret- in turn 
empowering and affirming the entire mm. collective. And so having the marae next door every day is a reminder that there's something bigger that we are responsible for, mm. and it's upholding the legacy of not the whare or the building itself, but everyone who has been a mm. part of that. And I think it's um, it's such a privilege to be able to have that. And it's such a privilege to watch my baby grow up around her cousins mm. where she's walking out her, you know, front gate. Mama, can I go to Jayla's house? <laughs> <laughs> but it's constantly playing with her cousins till all hours of the day or night. And you just know that she's safe. Mm. And you know that if she's at someone else's house, they're probably feeding her. Mm. You know, they're looking after her. She comes home with toys and dolls and I'm like, take it back because <laughs> we've got too much crap. But, you know, that's the aroha that her whanau show her. And it's just such a beautiful way to be mm. raised because you're not in isolation. Mm. And that's how we sh- we should be living in this way because that's how our tupuna lived. Hard out. And I mm. think that's the special thing too of... For many Māori growing up in urban centres, they lose that connection mm. back to their to their whenua. And I think growing up for me is what I've found is that I've been able to stand on my Tūranga Waiwai on the daily mm. and know where I'm from, know who who my whanonga are and have that sense of belonging that's always going to be there. And I think... That's what you're fostering mm. in this little haven that prop- no one really knew about <laughs> until in the last... Yeah, just until the three, last, like, last, 18 yeah. months. <laughs> so, but that's a special thing of now so many people are seeing the beauty mm. within this tiny place that was just by the airport. And, you know, I really feel for people who are disconnected from their whenua, whether mm. it be them living in diaspora here in Aotearoa, away mm. from their Pacific nation, or whether it be that they've um, had to, you know, the urban drift has mm. drawn them into mm. a city that's not their own. Um, I feel for them by also say, don't ever feel whakamā to go home mm. and don't ever feel out of place because that is your that is your kainga just as much as it is somebody else's. And... You go home and you own that space and you own your place in that space and don't ever feel that you're separate or different or um, missing out. Because while there might be some experiences that you don't have, that doesn't mean that that's not just as much your place as it is those who still live there. Mm. And that's a really important thing that so many of our whanau need to remember. Mm. Go home. And feel at home. Mm. And it's not going anywhere. It will be waiting for you when you're ready with yeah. open arms. Just rock up. You'll see a komato running Grab around. Grab a tea towel. Grab a tea towel. <laughs> but no, then there's responsibilities when you come back too. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing, you know. Also, don't just leave it to those that are at home mm. to do the mahi because those that are at home often get quite overwhelmed. they got their own lives. They're also trying to juggle. And... We need skilled people. Mm. We need people from various backgrounds and varying skills to come home and support. And so make sure you're keeping in touch with mm. home. Because yeah. if you're, you know, if you're a builder or mm. if you're a comm specialist or if you're an accountant or mm. a whatever, your skills can be used at home. Mm. And you don't necessarily have to move home to offer up those skills. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's also something we can't forget. Uh, listening to you talk about um, your upbringing, your baby's upbringing, and I think for as long as I've known you, even though I, I see you at sporadic times, one thing that has always kind of stuck with me is how, how much you speak with so much conviction in terms of how, what you believe in um, and the, the strength that you draw on. And it 
it's now become clear where that comes from. Your upbringing has got to be why you are the way you are today, right? Uh, most definitely. Or, or has it been a journey in itself? Most definitely. I mean, my upbringing, that's the foundation. You know, you're planted in this this upbringing, <laughs> for, for want of a better word. Um, it's those foundations are what you base everything else on because every all the other parts of the journey get added to that. So, you know, you can't build a house unless you've got a good foundation. I've had phenomenal examples of entrepreneurship and independence that look different in my family. You know, my auntie jokes, my auntie Marcia jokes about, you know, only she went to boarding school. Her and my mum both went to Queen Vic and I was supposed to go there. Um, Then it closed, but (laughs) I was supposed to go there. And my auntie, my mum was quite an academic student who loved reading. And my auntie always joked about going to school to smoke behind the sheds and eat her lunch. (laughs) And so, um, you know, it's really funny when you kind of look at them at that age. And then you, my auntie really underestimates how phenomenal she actually Mm. is because she went on to own a hairdressing business. She ran that business single-handedly for something like 20 plus years. Mm. Um, It became the hub of community in in Mangere Bridge. Mm. And, you know, at the time she was like, what? what? Me? Who? I'm like, that is a prime example of entrepreneurship, of success and of leadership by someone who didn't even know that that's what they were achieving. And then you've got uh, my uncle Michael who worked in travel um, all his life mm-hmm. and has gone and seen and experienced the world and has come back and said, you know, you have to go here and you have to do this and you have... And he sort of um, inadvertently taught me that... Home is home, but make sure you stretch your wings mm. and go and experience life in the world because you will grow and learn from that. And then my mum, my mum is, she is a rock in our family. She is the eldest child of the three of them. Mm. And she is, um, whenever you need to be told to harden up, <laughs> you go to my mum. Because my mum is that person who believes in you so much mm. that she won't let you doubt yourself for a second. Mm. And what I love about her is she's the mama who taught me you don't ever ask for permission, you mm. just ask for forgiveness. Mm. And so it's like, go and do it. Yeah. And if someone has an issue with it, then apologize later, yeah. but go and do mm. it. And I think what she taught me through her just attitude to the world was. There's nothing that you can't do and no one should ever tell you not to, which is, you know, it's interesting coming from a mum saying, you know, challenge authority, challenge what people are saying, go out and do it, achieve, achieve and just, you know, stop apologizing for it. And so there were those lessons that she taught me, but at the same time, she also taught me a lot about giving and I don't know that she realized or even still today realizes what an example she is in that sense. My mum has run an early childhood centre for the last 25 years and has worked across early childhood in Mangere for most of her life. Mm. And any time a family came to her in need, she would dig into her own pocket and she would put groceries on their table mm. or she would put clothes on their children's backs or she would um, connect them with a social service that she didn't have to do. Mm. When there are kids who need to go to preschool but can't afford it, she rings their families and she's like, just bring them to me. I don't care, pay whatever, pay a dollar, doesn't matter. Bring me your kids. And 
I have seen the impact that she has had on families that I don't think she realises. And when I watch how giving she is and how much she has impacted other people's lives, how can I not Mm. take from that example? And so all of these people have fed into what my grandparents already laid as a very solid foundation of what it is to be a Māori Pacifica wahine in this world, to really understand, again, that it's not about you, (laughs) that you're here. Yes, do great things, but make sure you're taking people along Mm -hmm. with you and make sure those great things are having impact. Mm -hmm. Because if they're not, what's the point? Mm -hmm. And then when I kind of came into my own... Going to university was the first time I'd ever kind of studied with people who weren't Māori or Pacifica (laughs) (laughs) in this huge, you know, very Pākehā system Mm. and being one of a handful of brown, and I say brown Mm -hmm. in quote marks because look at me, Um, (laughs) but one of only a handful of brown kids who went into university and I knew that I had to graduate, not Yes, for me, but not only for me, because I wanted to make sure that they knew that there were brown kids who could graduate Mm. from this degree. And I had a careers teacher at high school when I said to her I wanted to do communications. She was like, oh, that's the hardest degree to get into at AUT. Maybe you should try something else. They said the same thing to me. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, no, you didn't. And so, um, you know, all of those experiences, I was bullied when I was in primary school. Yeah, like, oh, everybody's got a story about being bullied. I remember, I actually vividly remember um, these girls saying to me, come on, we're just going to go over here. Oh, turn around, close your eyes, like lean up against the wall. And then they all like had a go at kicking me in the back before they all ran away. And it was primary school, but I, I remember that moment. And I remember feeling so small and so broken and and so alone in that moment Mm. and I was like oh I'm not one of the cool kids I'm not one of the popular girls and I never have been Mm. I've never been and I don't know if you can swear on this podcast but fuck that yeah (laughs) (laughs) because I'm just like you know these are the experiences that have all led me to be who I am and I've that's the first time I've ever actually told anybody Mm. the details of that bullying story because I've always been really embarrassed about it like I've always been like oh you know shame you were that kid that People literally kicked. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know that my family knew that. But as I grow up and as I'm an adult and as I'm a mama, I'm just like, what did those parents teach those kids to know that for them to think that that was okay? And what am I teaching my daughter? And actually, what have I learned and how have I grown since that moment? Mm -hmm. And so as I've come into my adult life, um, there's a few things that I have learned myself. And that is that I give no fucks. Um, and I don't apologize for saying that. I'm the same. I'm the same. same. (laughs) Because actually, if I care about what everybody thinks, I can't do what I need to do. And so I know, and I'm guided very heavily by intuition, instinct, gut feeling, and I know that my Mm. tupuna are guiding me in the pathway that I need to be on, and I know when it's not the right path because it feels wrong, Mm. and it feels icky, and it feels challenging. And so... I'm able to give no fucks because mm. <laughs> I'm guided by that feeling going, no, this is the next bit. I know that I'm going to be okay. Mm. This is where I'm meant to be. Here's some really hard stuff. Pull up your big girl undies <laughs> and let your voice be heard. Mm. And so <clears throat> I've got that part of myself that I have grown into. Um, I have realized that 
from about eight years old, I was groomed into, I, I don't like calling it leadership because I don't like, uh, I feel like acknowledging myself as a leader is, mm. it feels really awkward for me. Mm. Um, but you are. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I prefer to just say I'm just doing the mahi that I need to do. Right. Mm. And if people come along on that journey, then they come along beside me, not behind me. Mm. And so um, from eight years old, I was taken to marae meetings and I learned, you know, all about governance mm. and I learned mm. all about politics and I learned about strategy mm. and I learned about um, whānau dynamics mm. and I learned about leadership mm. and I learned about all of these different things from eight mm. And so now that I'm here at 35, (laughs) that's a long time of learning. Mm. And I think um, all of that has helped shape me, has helped give me confidence, because what I also stay true to is what I know Mm. to be true. Mm. I have faith in my knowledge. I may not know everything, but I know my story. Mm. I know the story of my whānau for me to form an opinion on the world and go, here's what's right and here's what's wrong and here's what I'm going to fight for. Um, I think my my husband and my daughter have... (sighs) I'm not a very chill person. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to rest. Mm. But every now and again, they remind me to slow down. Mm. And they uh, have been very good at teaching me things about myself that I would never have learned on my own. (laughs) And my husband is the complete opposite of me. He's very quiet. He's very, he's very matter of fact. Um, And my daughter is fire. (laughs) Like her mama, (laughs) like her tipuna. Oh, it's so funny. She looks so much like her dad and then she opens her mouth and everyone's (laughs) like, oh, there you are. But um, they have taught me a lot about chilling out, taking time for whānau. Mm. You know, my daughter, last night, we sat together and read eight books. And I was like, oh, I've got all these things I have to do. And she's like, Mama, read my puka puka. Yeah. <laughs> and so we just sat down literally in the dark with a torch and read these books. Wow. And it's those things that your kids, they teach you so much in that moment. Mm. You know, mm. slow down, Mum. Mm. Take some time out. Read with me. Relax. I'm like, oh, I'm not good at any of these things, mm. but... Okay. <laughs> Does that ever get hard because you've been groomed from this young age to be this leader? The responsibilities and the time commitment and the effort that takes you away from your own whānau? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a huge... Um, some days I... Some days when I get frustrated and stressed, I'm like, this is such a burden. Mm-hmm. And then other days I kind of go, no, it's not. It's not a burden. This mm-hmm. is This is the change that it's creating and... For her too. Yeah. It's very challenging. Um, It's very heavy at times. You know, when you have the responsibility of big decisions that you have to make for Mm. your wider whānau, Mm. um, I also run a business. And so I have to, I work a lot because I can't rely on a salary. Like Mm. I can't rely on a regular income. If I'm not working, I'm not getting paid. Mm. And so there's there's the heaviness of that responsibility. And then there's also the challenges that you have by knowing that this is your responsibility and other people not quite understanding that. Mm. And so I have had 
many a challenging conversation <laughs> with my darling. Who's <laughs> like, why do you have to go to another meeting? Why do you have to do blah, 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 blah? You know, why are you here? Why are you doing this? I'm like, well, because I have to. He's mm. like, who said you have to? I just know I have to because this is my responsibility that has been given to me by people I've never met in my life but who knew I was coming one day. Mm. And so you know when something is that responsibility because you, you're drawn to it. Mm. And no matter how many times you try and step away from it, you can't. Mm. And that's when you know that's tupuna led. Mm. That's your tupuna saying, no, no, no. <laughs> we didn't wait and wish for you to come in, you know, however many generations later, only for you to pike out on what we needed you to do. Yeah. And so um, it, it's, it can be such a heavy weight to carry, but you just do it. Yeah. Because, you know, that's, that's who you are. It's who we are as Indigenous people. And I think it's hard too, especially you are... You'll be like, nah, I'd rather be involved instead of <laughs> sitting back and watch. It's like, I can imagine myself. I don't like that. <laughs> no, it needs to be done like this. Mm. You know, one thing I've learned a lot in the last five years um, is being better at collaborating. <laughs> <laughs> and so myself and five of my cousins um, started a kaupapa five years ago around protecting the whenua and ihumatao. And I'm very strong-headed, if you haven't realised already. <laughs> um, very strong-headed, and I like to do things in a certain way. And I think I get that from my grandfather, because he was mm. like, you do it properly or you don't do it at all. Uh, he was that kind of person. And so um, I'm very much like that in my personality, which, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but I've also learnt how to collaborate better mm. because while we know that we can do it and unless you allow space for other people to step into you never allow them to reach their potential mm. and you don't allow them to have their influence over something and so what um what i've seen is my some of my cousins, even my aunties and uncles, who you know are at a later stage of their lives, flourish when you allow when you step back and give space for other people to make decisions mm. and to lead and to take control over a certain space or to decide whether it's left or right or black or white mm. or whatever. Um, and you get to you get to really experience ideas that you never would have had mm. because. You only have your ideas that you have, and they suddenly come up with ideas that you're like, "What? Where did that come from?" Mm. But that's because they're able to express who they are. So we need to remember. Um, geez, I'm telling everyone to remember so many things no, on the podcast. Good, but good. I think of new words. Um, but we, yeah, it's really important to to give space because that's also leadership as well. Mm. Leadership isn't you being at the front. Leadership is you being here mm. alongside. Or being behind and pushing others forward. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I'm responsible for pushing anybody forward. But I am responsible for my choices. And sometimes I will choose to take a step back and potentially throw someone in the deep end knowing that they can swim. Yeah. They just mm -hmm. don't realise it until they're in there. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly they're thriving. And that's, we need to nurture more of that. Because I think a lot of us that are very strong leaders, that are very strong, opinionated. Yes. <laughs> Dominant personalities, not speaking of anybody else but myself, um, 
you know, stepping back is, is sometimes a challenge, but it's, it's, a, it's a necessity mm. because we also need to think about succession planning and that if you're not here anymore, mm. like if exactly. I died tomorrow, who else is going to do that? Right. Mm. And if we're not building them up to do that, then you die and then everything you're doing dies too. Yeah. <laughs> Hence why you were groomed at eight. Yes. Well, mm. yeah. You talked about business, which is what we want to um, get into uh, shortly. But also, you know, you've had quite the decorative career so far. You know, look at um, you're an, you're an award winning photographer, journalist. Um, but how did all that all that start? Uh, obviously, you went and did communications at AUT. You know, you've been through Mana Magazine, Specific Magazine, and how how did how did all of that start? Wow, I always like to acknowledge it started when I was two, because yeah. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a talker, yeah. and uh, that started quite early. Mm. When I was two, I have this recording that my nan made on a cassette tape of her and I sitting down doing a podcast, right, having Love an interview, <laughs> having an interview way back then. Already 33 years ago. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And um, she interviewed me. Well, she's like, you know, what's your name? My name is Kiani Mae. <laughs> How old are you? You know, all of these things. And then we sung these waiata and she recorded it on this tape. And I am the kind of person who hates people telling me what to do. And my nan said to me when I was in my early teens, you're going to grow up and be a journalist. And I was like, oh, that's it. I'm not being that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, not being that. Um, but... When I was younger, so we had that when I was two, and then when I got to sort of like end of primary school, early intermediate, I'd be like, this is Kiana from Te Karere, and I'd go around and interview all these people. Because, you know, I was the eldest child for 10 years. Like, I had not a lot of kids to play with. <laughs> and so I'd walk around with my hairbrush, and I'd say the news, and I would report on the news. Today, Papa, what did you do? And, like, put the, microphone, put the hairbrush microphone in front of his mouth. And it just was something. I was a storyteller. I was always telling mm. stories, whether they were true or not. I was always <laughs> telling stories. And um, I just naturally, I naturally leaned towards that that creative uh, side of my personality. I am not good at maths. I'm 35 and still don't know my times Same. tables. Yep. Same. No, my 10-year-old niece, well, my sorry, my 8-year-old niece is like, Auntie, what's 7 times 8? I'm like, don't ask me that. Yep. I have no idea. But... Um, I, yeah, so that was sort of where it, where it all started was, I think it was just in me somewhere yeah. and started showing itself as I was growing up. Really loved to write. I remember this um, at Intermediate, we had this a school assignment where you had to write a story, like just to make up a story and write a story. And of course, Kiani went OTT and I like literally made a book. <laughs> I, no. I got like cardboard and cut it and then I like, drawn the front and laminated it and like stitched all the pages together oh. and I my mum was just like yeah that's a bit impressive <laughs> and yeah okay I was you know trying to impress my teacher but when I look back at that I'm like I always wanted to write I always wanted to make magazines mm. I always wanted to tell stories and I wanted to do them great I didn't just want to be like oh here's a story on a crappy piece of paper I wanted to do the whole package. Mm. And so going through to communications was just a natural yeah. mm. natural thing for me. The photography side of things, um, I bought my first professional camera when I was 19 and taught myself how to use it. And so then my grandfather had a Konica Minolta film yeah. camera. 
um, which later got stolen in a house robbery. And I was just like, man, you could have taken anything. Just leave the bloody camera because it was such an amazing camera. But those those were the tools that I started practicing on. But before I was a photographer, I was actually a painter. And yeah. I used to, yeah, I'd paint, paint acrylic on canvas. And, and that was that was how I would visualize my my work. And then photography was a little bit faster to get the, <laughs> <laughs> the get image processed. out into, yeah. And um, decided that that was going to be it. And so when I first uh, got my first job, which was um, at Mana Magazine, I never, ever wanted to work for Māori or Pacific Media. So I'd finished uni. Well, I was coming to the end of uni, and I was like, I don't ever want to work for Māori or Pacific Media because I didn't want to be typecast. Mm. Oh, you can only tell the Māori or Pacific stories. Oh, you know. And my first job was at New Zealand's leading Māori magazine, Mana. (laughs) (laughs) So that all went down the toilet. Um, But it it was such a great learning. There was only two other... Well, there was three other staff members when I first started, and then one left not long after I started. And so there was three of us that ran this magazine. Uh, it was edited by Derek Fox at the time. Catherine Finlay was the associate editor. And then there was me, who was the production manager slash writer slash photographer. I was privileged to be part of some of the most amazing interviews. I was with Derek when we got the first interview with the Māori king, King Itu Heitia Pōtato Te Whero Whero Te Tuawhetu. When, uh, oh, what's his name? Willie Apiata, mm. when Willie Apiata came back and won his VC uh, medal. And I remember that interview. We went into the SAS headquarters uh, in Papakura. And it was so inside the army barracks is like another mm. <laughs> um, stone walled yeah. building, like huge stone walls. And then inside that was the SAS um, crew. And you walked in and you had to put, there was these like big steel boxes and you had to put your phones and like any electronic equipment had to go in these big steel boxes. And then you were taken up to this room and it was like the head of the SAS's office, some, you know, Pakia dude. And there wasn't enough chairs. And so he goes, oh, you can sit at my desk. And so I sat at his desk and there was this phone and this phone had a red button and a green button. And I was like, ha ha, if you push this buzz button, does it ring the prime minister? And he looked at me and he was like, yep. yep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, don't touch anything. But I really want to touch the yeah. Um, And so it was really, it was a really interesting experience. But I, you know, I was able to, those that was where I first cut my teeth in journalism. And so I had opportunities to interview like Catch a Fire and Anikamo and all of those guys. But then I also had opportunities to travel to the far north and interview Akuya mm. and Kaitaia and to, you know, talk to um, a young wahine who was from South Auckland who was succeeding in her career and, and like smashing all of these stereotypes. And, and so there was this beautiful mixture of the real grassroots stories yeah. mm. that change, that really change our communities. And, and, and help, help to shape you too. Yeah. yeah. And, ha- and help to shape who you are. And so um, it was such a great foundation in journalism. And then I moved over to Specific Magazine and became their deputy editor and I was 25. Mm. And I was, um, you know, to, to have that role at that age was pretty phenomenal. Um, I had just won. So when I was at Mana, I'd won a Qantas Media mm. Award for a story that mm. I did about Tukitane. Mm. And... So I, I was sort of this age where all of these really amazing things were happening. But at the same time, I was like, I'm still not, this is still not me. This is, mm. and I, I could tell that at that age, I wanted more tino, tino ranga tiratanga 
over my life. Mm. And so I worked with Specific Magazine and um, added more to my kite. And so was uh, doing advertising sales, which I hated <laughs> so much. I'm so not a salesperson. But, um, <laughs> was doing advertising sales as well as, you know, journalism, editing, photography, all of that sort of stuff. And um, my my sister was still at school and she fell pregnant mm. and had a baby. And it was just like, you know what? What am I doing? Like, what's actually important to me? And I had already on the side been running like a little side business, doing comms mm. for other organisations. Mm. I was still... Um, Growing my art practice, so my photograph, my documentary photography practice uh, as an exhibiting artist, I was still growing that along the way. And my sister had this baby, and I was sort of in the stage of my career where I was like, man, I'm this age, I don't even know where to go next. Mm. But what I do know is that I want Tinoranga Tiratanga over my own life. Mm. I want to decide what I do next. And so I left. Yeah. And I left and I started a business, and I haven't looked back since. And so that was maybe seven or eight years ago now um, mm. that I started my business, which is now called Kiani & Co. Mm-hmm. And it's a, um, it's a mixture of uh, comms, strategy, planning, um, comms delivery, so creative mm. comms, content creation, so writing, interviewing, podcasts, yeah. um, you know, photography, video, and I shot weddings for six years because yeah, that was a, that. that was a really great way. So every summer for six years, I'd shoot weddings, and I did it the way that I wanted to. So I did documentary wedding photography. Yeah. I, I like I worked with people who were all about that kind of aesthetic because mm. I had to learn to shoot in so many different lighting situations with time against me, mm. with um, different personalities, different groups of people, different. Um, you know, skin tones in the same photo, like mm. all of that kind of stuff that you often don't get to experience when you're a commercial photographer mm. or an editorial photographer in such an intense, mm. like, intense moment. Mm. And so that was really good at... And checking at, the different cultures. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, like, the auntie's like, can you take a photo of me and my so-and-so? I'm just like, uh, sure. I'm not really here for that, but okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, then as I got as I got on, you know, the aunties with their iPads in the aisle, I'm like, lady, oh. sit down. <laughs> I love you, but they're paying me, and yeah. you're, like, wasting their money by getting in my shot. Um, <clears throat> and so there was all of that stuff that I have continued to grow and have been able to work nationally, have clients across the country um, doing that mahi, still continue to do freelance journalism. My arts practice took off on the side. Like, honestly, when I'm, I'm just literally listening at now going, holy crap, that's a lot of... It's amazing. I, a, I'm talking too much. How? But, but no. B, I'm like, How I'm still you? not even finished what I've done yet. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, the art, the art side of things, so have been exhibiting for the last few years... Mm. Um, and have been really lucky to have my work exhibited internationally. Mm. Uh, a lot of that is thanks to the Auckland uh, Festival of Photography, mm. who has championed a lot of my work and taken mm. it to festivals around the world. That has been great. Last year, I had an opportunity to work with Disney, mm. um, which you know was another milestone. Mm. I won a couple of photography awards, <laughs> but you know, like those those awards and those opportunities are great, but they're not. Like I, they're not why I do this. Yeah. The work that I make and the impact that that has on communities, that's why. The work that I did with Disney was about putting indigenous faces to a, to a global brand 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that when that travelled around the world, wahine Māori were being celebrated. Mm. Kōtiro Māori, kōhine Māori were being celebrated. Um, that's why I do it. It's If I get an accolade because of it, it it's like, thank mm. you. That What that does, what those accolades do and what those awards do is they help open up the next door. Mm. But they literally sit on the shelf in my office. Like I, It's not something that I... Um, acknowledge as a highlight in my career mm. my greatest achievement is my daughter mm. you know that's yeah. will always be my greatest yeah. achievement it's obvious though it's it's obvious that you don't do it for that it's just <laughs> other, other people that re- that um like to recognize you for your work mm. and it's yeah. cool you know sometimes you see it pop up oh cool Kiana's won another photography award it's like, oh there she is again nah, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> and I think you talk about all these different hats so there's the artist there's the mama there's the activist oh, leader. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what when people ask you what you do, what do you say? You know, uh, here's one thing I can uh, I'll brag about this. I managed to get this down to one line. Wait. No, and, and the reason no why the reason why I brag about it is because someone once said to me, "What is your mal?" Which you know, from a Samoan perspective, mm. what is your purpose? And so it really challenged me to go. What do I do? So here's what I do. I amplify the voices of marginalised people and their communities so that we can change the narrative for our future generations. I love that. Yo, that is quite powerful that you have managed to, you know, put that into one line. But with that, encompasses so much other stuff mm. that you do. Um, and it's and it opens up uh, more conversations mm. into being inquisitive around Kiani the person, Kiani and co, Kiani the business. And... You know, when we obviously we're gonna look at Nuku. And it was actually Maya that told me about Nuku first. Let's let's go back to how, how Nuku started. Obviously you had left the traditional side of journalism. Mm. Um, how did that, that idea idea come about? Um, well, you know, I talked to, I've talked a lot about my grandmother and my mm. daughter and it was in the period in between losing my grandmother before I had my daughter that Nuku was born. You know, we talk about in Te Māori, we talk about uh, te kore te po te mm. And Hana Tapiata talks about this quite a lot. Te kore, the nothing, mm. the potential. Mm. You know, te po, the darkness, the next step into that. And then Te Marama, the light. Mm. And uh, when my grandmother passed away, I was in te kore te po. I was in this nothing, this darkness, this, mm. you know, her and I were so close um, but at the same time of grieving her, I was grieving this baby that wasn't yet born. And then I was really questioning who I was as an Indigenous woman, who I was as a woman mm. who couldn't have children, who I was as, you know, a wife who was constantly in tears. My husband was the only one who ever saw me at my lowest. My family didn't, like, never saw me as broken as what he got to see. And I'll always thank him for that because he just held that space. There was a very solid Tani energy that yeah. helped keep me toe. Mm. And um, it was a really, really difficult time in my life where I just felt so lost. And I didn't know what I was doing, where I was going. Um, we were still in the middle of the Ihumato uh, kaupapa and my nan was a huge supporter of my role in that because so many people had criticised us about, you know, disrespecting Nao Kaumatu and Kuya. Mm. And here was my grandmother saying, 
keep going, do it, don't stop. And so losing her had such an impact on my world. And then I started kind of going, okay, where, where, where do I get support? Mm. Like, who do I, where do I look? And I, I'm not the kind of person who kind of, I'm quite open, mm. quite open with sharing things, but I'm not going to come up to you and go, I have this problem, how can you help me? Because mm. I'm not actually good at asking for help. And what I realized was when I lost my nan, I'd also lost another ring in the ladder of collective wisdom. Mm. And how as wahine, we would, you know, we sit at the table over kai, always over kai, (laughs) (laughs) over kai and share and talk. And we don't say, I need your help. But through the conversation, we realize, oh, this is helping me. Mm -hmm. This kōrero is helping me. This experience, your lived experience is helping me. And so I started kind of thinking, okay, well, I have all these different skills in journalism and photography and storytelling and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I have all of that, um, but also I'm an Indigenous woman and I really want to do something for women. Mm. And I had actually thought about making a magazine mm. and I'd run that magazine idea past my nan and then it died when she died, um, which, was, <laughs> which was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's done now. Yeah. Um, when I fell pregnant with my daughter, so Nuku was born from that period. Mm. The yearning for real connection because Facebook and Instagram was full of selfies and food photos. And while food looks great, like that's not helping. Mm. Like what? That's bullshit. That's not real. And I wanted to see real and I wanted to see story sovereignty and I wanted to see us connecting as wahine, the good, the bad, the ugly, and just get it all out there because actually that's how we're going to learn and grow as a collective. Mm. And I secretly, but not very secretly, (laughs) have this ambition to grow this army of strong indigenous women who give no fucks. Yeah. Because the more we have of that, the greater our world is going to be. Because when we step into that space and step into our own, we know that indigenous women are the drivers of change. And so it is so important and was so important at the time to create something that uh, that yearned yeah. and, and thrived and, and was driven by and for that. And so um, I decided uh, quite quickly, which I which helped me realise, oh, yeah, this is what it's meant to be. Mm. Because, you know, when those ideas come to you, they're like, oh, this and this and this and this. Mm. So I was like, okay, it's 100 wahine. It's a podcast. I've never done broadcasting before, but I'm going to quickly learn. Mm-hmm. So it's 100 wahine. It's a podcast. It's a photo shoot. It's behind the scenes video. And then all these people started coming into my life. And I'm like, I met um, Taylor Aumua, who's mm. a Fijian, Samoan, Wahine, um, her and I were both contracting comms for another organisation and she started while I was on maternity leave. And I came back and we both realised we were going to be bridesmaids in the same wedding because one of my close friends was marrying her brother. And I said, Taylor, I've got this idea and this is what I'm doing. And I said, and she was like, oh, I really want to do more video work. And I said, why don't you come and be my intern? Mm. And so she came to be my intern for the first 10. And it was like, you can never leave. Mm. <laughs> and so her and I often joke, and even though we know it's not a joke, that our tupuna brought us together because mm. that's what it was meant to be. And it was meant to have another Pacifica element to it where um, even though I have Cook Island Whakapapa, I, I default to my Māori whakapapa all the time because mm. I'm here in Aotearoa. And so mm. it just kind of is the default. When I'm in Rarotonga, well, then I, you know, default yeah. to my Cook Island whakapapa. And so to have Taylor bringing in her Māori Samoan uh, whakapapa and, and her essence and her um, 
energy into the space was really amazing. Mm. My best friend, Melissa Skelton, who I've known my entire life, uh, you know, we had grown up in my auntie's hair salon and I was like, want to be our lead hair and makeup artist? <laughs> and so it was a natural fit because her and I had been doing it forever, mm. tattooing together forever. Um, and then just recently we've had Julia Espinosa Chilean join us mm. and um, she's come on board. She actually came on board my, my business as the production manager and then um, started doing more and more for Nuku, which has been so great. Mm. And so this whole... Um, Kopapa around Nuku, it again was one of those things that was like, you have the skills, but it's tupuna driven, mm. <laughs> or it's, you know, something else drives it. And um, we're now up to Nuku 50. Mm. So we've interviewed, profiled, photographed 50 women. We've exhibited, managed stunning to exhibit, exhibit stunning, some of the images. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about Chelsea. Um, in Aotearoa, we give a lot of props to these males that mm. are influencing the film world overseas. And yep, it was 100%. like, here's Chelsea Winstanley, mm. who is who has a hand in some of our most successful films to come out of Aotearoa mm. or to be made overseas by a New Zealand director that she has produced, that yep. she has made happen. Mm. And she herself is a filmmaker and is a director. And she has, you know, her career can stand on its own two feet quite strongly. And we needed to highlight that. And then she went on to be nominated for an Oscar, which, yeah. <coughs> you know, is a little bit special. <laughs> but it was just interesting um, in that particular one how um, you caught her. It was it was in between just having to she only had a short amount of time yeah um in there but one thing i also like to highlight around um nuku is around its international reach as well mm. i was on a plane i think listening to the hawaiian lady you, you spoke oh, to Auntie Pua. Yeah, yeah, and, she and, was amazing and around um around their kaupapa as well mm. and how, how how you both can can relate and just the the international reach too i'm like damn this is good yeah, poor case, poor Lani case. She is uh, one of the leaders in Mauna Kea, mm. um, stopping the telescope from being built on the top of their ancestral maunga. And she, um, so Nuku is for and about Indigenous women. Mm. However, we have, you know, we have men who listen. <laughs> <laughs> we have non-Indigenous people who listen. We have lots of different people who are part of the Nuku Fano, mm. who we always welcome and embrace as part of the Nuku Fano. And it's about... Um, Amplifying those voices of those Indigenous women and telling their stories and sharing their lived experiences, uncensored, uncut. I specifically use the word Indigenous for Nuku because while Māori are Indigenous to Aotearoa, we are but the taina in you know in the Pacific and in Oceania, and so I'm also um, very conscious that. There are people who, all of us are indigenous to Oceania mm. and we are connected by the ocean, mm. by the sea. And so being able to reach out into, to someone who uh, was from Hawaii to share their experience of standing for their land, of, you know, you think about how the Americans um, 
American law enforcement respond to the people in Mauna Kea. And yeah. then you compare, mm. obviously, I had to compare that yeah. to how New Zealand police uh, or the New Zealand government respond to us in Ihumakao. Um, being able to share those experiences. But one of the things that Auntie Pua said, which will forever stick with me, and I can you can... You can adapt what I call now a whakatauki, this <laughs> proverb. <laughs> you can adapt it to anything that's going on in your life. And what she said was, um, one day you will be called. And when you are called, don't forget that standing on a sacred mountain demands sacred conduct. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that mm-hmm. line, you know, one day you will be called. So you might be called to work for your people. You might be called to the front line of a protest. Mm. You might be called to do a particular job. You might be called to be a mother. You might be called to wash the dishes, (laughs) whatever Mm. it is. One day you will be called. Mm. It is your supuna that are calling you into that space. Standing on a sacred mountain demands sacred conduct. If you think about how you stand when you are called, Mm. no matter what it is, no matter what you're doing, whether you are you know, working in a top executive job or whether you are just as important working in a cleaning job or working in a retail job or working in a drive through job. How do you hold yourself and your tupuna in that space? And in that space, when you think of the sacredness of what you have been called to do, what is it that you are going to do differently to honour that? And I think, um, you know, the lessons that she imparted through that podcast are lessons that I will hold with me because what it also teaches you is that you know, you know within you. You don't need to look for anybody else to tell you that you are enough or that you are whatever because you will feel that within you. And so... I had interviewed her before the July 23rd, 2019 eviction mm-hmm. at Ihumatao. And I remember standing on that front line and I was, the, f- the first moment that I got up to the whenua, because my daughter was sick that day and I got up there quite late in the afternoon and I had been part of the whole yeah. stuff. Sorry, I'm transitioning this quarter now, but I'd been part of the whole um lead up to that morning, you know, we got the tip off that the police were coming in and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I'd taken my daughter to the doctor. And that afternoon, I went up to the whenua and the sun was setting behind Puketapapa, our tupuna maunga, and I just cried. And my nieces were singing in the background and I looked around and I could see my family broken and grieving and I tears started coming down my face and then something inside me needed to come out and I never ugly cry like loud cry (laughs) you know Mm. you cry like politely (laughs) on the side and hold your hold your composure and I just cried and cried and loudly like let these feelings and emotions out of me because at that moment I realized that we had been called Mm. and as the sun was setting and my and my nieces were singing it was like yeah our tupuna have called us to this moment and standing on this sacred whenua demands of us Mm. sacred conduct and so once I let that all out I wiped my face (laughs) I turned around and I was like right let's go and that was it 
And it was those words from Auntie Pua mm-hmm. that that sat in my head and said, this is only one part of this job. <laughs> this is not the end, nor is it the beginning, but this is only one part of this job and you must continue to do that. And so, uh, and that, that helped enforce how I held myself in that space and how, you know, others had. And so, you know, Auntie Pua was a great one. Um, so many, Akitami, if we're talking about mm. international reach, mm. Akitami is an indigenous Indian woman. Yeah. And I don't know the difference between an Indigenous Indian woman and an Indian woman. In India, they have the caste system, Mm -hmm. lower class, Mm. middle class. Um, They, Indigenous women, are not on the caste system. Mm. They are below. Mm. Often they work as slaves in tea plantations. They live in militarised communities. Today, not like, oh, this is our history. Today, they have been colonised over and over and mm. over again. The biggest colonisation in India has been religious colonisation mm. because Indigenous Indian people have a very similar spiritual belief system to us here mm. in the Pacific. Mm. They have Atua o te mm. so they have gods of the forest, gods of the sea. Mm. Um, but because they have such, uh, they have been influenced so much by varying religions that have come through, um, a lot of them have lost that. Mm. And so Aki was was great. We've had um, Julia Mangiao Gray, who's mm. you know a mark maker and dancer from Papua New Guinea of Papua New Guinean and Australian mm. heritage. Um, our Nuku Fifty is Fijian. Taylor Omua's mum, Linda Omua, mm. who works in Pacifica Education. Um, but we've also had the most incredible, incredible Maori woman, um, you know Amber Aranui, whose job mm. it is to go around the world and find the bones of our tupuna mm. who were sent overseas, you know, decades ago to be, you know, for research or for yeah. to go into museums. And yeah. it's her job to go and find them and bring them home. And that is such an important job. We've mm. had um, Maru Niho Niho, who mm. was a, mm. a game maker, you know, who grew up playing Spaces yeah. at her local mm. fish and chip shop and now makes games for, you know, yeah. Xbox and PlayStation and like all these, and wahi wahi ne Māori. Mm. And so it's, the journey with Nuku, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Take it from school and get a twenty cents and beat yeah. the boys. And so, like the, the journey with Nuku has um, has been so healing for me because mm. I think lots of people kind of message and they go, "Oh, it's so great to um, to it, Nuku has had such an impact on my life, and Nuku has this, and, and thank mm. you so much." And I'm just like, "Oh, <laughs> the thanks is actually mine mm. because Nuku has healed me." And now that we're at 50, I'm like, cool, I'm healed now. Let's celebrate. <laughs> Let's get the next 50. And we get to 100 and make this Nuku book. And the day that I get to dedicate, you know, write my daughter's name in the front mm. of that book will just be so powerful in not closing this journey, but in kind of bringing that journey back around to the circle of where that, that kaupapa started mm. and then where I yeah. Not get to end it because no one's ever going to let me end it, I'm told. Hard out. Hard out, yeah. I don't think you're going to want to end it by that point. Well, to be honest, I'm like hard out going, okay, I know that I've got 50 more to go, but I need to start thinking about my three-year plan. <laughs> what happens after 100? Then what do we do? What is that going to look like? Um, I want to have a book launch like no book has ever been launched before. I'm envisioning 500 people at this book. <laughs> no, we're, ex- we're excited, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm just thinking it kind of ends the 100, but I have to have something else to it's also a, go. Yeah. And now here's the, here's the yeah. next thing. 
I don't know what that is. If anyone's got any ideas, please give them to us. Well, I was laughing this morning. I was like, oh, Nukumin. And I was like, nah, yeah, no, I love, I love what you, you know, mm. been doing. And yeah, it, it is, it is inspirational. I, you've got to be proud of what mm. you've done. Oh, um, proud's probably not the right word mm. to use. I'm very proud of my team. Mm. I am very honoured and give honour to all of those wahine who have so openly shared their stories. Yeah, um, I'm pretty stoked. Mm. I don't. I, I. I don't know. I don't necessarily like the word proud because yeah. I don't know that it ever describes how I'm actually feeling. Mm. Um, I feel very humbled. Yeah, it's mm. probably the word to meet these people, to be in this space and to be trusted to hold their stories. So exciting. So exciting. Mm. You know what? I reckon we could sit here and kōrero wānanga for the whole day <laughs> if you let us or if we let you, I think, by how it's been going. I know. Sorry, I talk way too much. No, but it's been awesome. <laughs> and and I, just just before you, um, you jump in there, I just want to say that it's so cool because we're so used to hearing you ask the questions. Mm. We're so used to hearing you tell the stories. And I think here we've been humbled and blessed by asking the questions and hearing what you have to say mm. and hearing what, um, you know, the influence on your tupuna, the influence on your whanau, um, mm. but also, I know, I know you, 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 don't, you probably wouldn't say it, but the influence that you're having on, on us. Mm. You know, and, and it's it, it's a quite a powerful space and a quite a powerful energy I'm taking from you, mm. you know, and, and hopefully imparting somewhere else as well. Well, I definitely want to impart somewhere else. So, damn, it's good. Kia ora. Yeah. Thank, you for, thank you for coming. But I guess just to wrap it up, Pātai Whakamutunga, how do you hope your mahi will inspire our rangatahi and our next generation to come? Oh, man. You know, I want all of our rangatahi to know off the bat that you, A, are enough, Mm. that B, you don't have to follow the system that is already in place. It is not a system that was built or made for us. Mm -hmm. And so what you need to do is go and disrupt that system. Mm. And I want all of our rangatahi to have the confidence and the belief in themselves Mm. because all of those tools are in all of the teachings of our tupuna. When you look at our indigenous stories, while some of them might be written in books as fairy tales, Mm. all of them have lessons. They all have lessons and they are the blueprints for how we should live well. We have them in every single one of our island nations. You go back beyond before colonisation, and I know there's particularly one of our island nations that still doesn't believe they were colonised. (laughs) (laughs) I fight with my husband about that all the time. Um, but in some form or another, we have been influenced by a Pakia, European, mm. Papa'a, Balangi system. And what I want, the challenge, the whittle that I want to lay is that if you are going to do anything, remember, you have one life, one. And that life should be left with as much impact as you can make and making it better for the seven generations in front of us. Hold on to all of those teachings of our tupuna and carry them through for those next seven generations. Mm. Our future will our future will look amazing. Our people will thrive and we will flip the world mm. in the way that we honour our indigenous teachings. With, by doing that, we create a better society, a better environment 
So disrupt, 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 disrupt. Thank you for tuning in with our special guest, Kiane Matata Sipu. We'd love to hear any of your feedback, so hit us up on our socials at kokongati underscore podcast on Facebook or Instagram. You can also check out Kiani's dope-ass podcast, Nuku, on all podcast platforms, as well as check out their socials. Nuku Woman is their handle or their website, nukuwoman.co.nz. Massive shout-outs to Foundation North's Pacific Future Makers Fund and the Coco Net for their support in making Season 1 of Kokongati. Ngati.